With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Fall. We got a lot to get to on the show. We're focusing on NIL this week. And you heard my previous pod and kind of describing some of the inner workings of how this all goes. Because, you know, everyone throws out these numbers. You know, since dropping my pod, I have other kind of coaches and agents and people calling me, telling me, hey, did you know that, for example, star player, All-American player, was said to be making 600000 last year, really made 200000 last year. And what's happened on this market is a myriad of things. But because it's just basically an illegitimate market in many ways. Right. And that no one knows what anybody's actually making. And yes, there are some absolute winners financially, but kids are sacrificing in many ways the relationships that they have built over years at their current schools to chase a check, which isn't nearly as sizable as they think. And oftentimes um, there's left with kind of bitter feelings. So there's a lot to it. And I thought I'd bring on Darren Heitner, who uh, I'll have him describe all the things he does, but he actually represents many of the biggest and brightest stars in this NIL landscape. And we'll get his perspective on how it all works and how it can be cleaned up and fixed up. I think it's definitely worthy of a conversation. In regards to the NBA playoffs, which we're seeing uh, kind of play out now through the first round, it does feel like because there's, you know, the only huge upset, I guess, in terms of seating wise would be the Lakers over the Grizzlies. And, you know, if we're honest, Game four was an incredibly hard-fought game. It was a great basketball game to just just break it down. You know, that's the only upset, which should give us a really remarkable uh, second round of the playoffs. You know, conference semifinals should be <laughs> incredible, especially if you have, you know, Lakers, Warriors, Nuggets, and, and Suns in the West. Like, wow, would that be great? And then, you know, in the East... You get Sixers. Obviously, they already advanced, and I think the the Nets. We knew that's who the Nets really were because most of their record was because they had Kyrie and KD and a completely different team. And and look, they played hard. And it's a nice story, but they weren't at the level of these other teams. And if if the Celtics can close, which you'd expect them to do, you'd have Celtics and Sixers as well as you know. We'll see what happens. The upset would be the Heat with the Bucks and. You know, Giannis's injury dramatically changed this series. And then Jimmy Butler pulls out an all-timer, right? Simply an all-timer. And then we could have Heat and Knicks. Are you kidding me? Uh, and, and here's something interesting, you know, the Knicks and the Lakers being relevant. I don't think either is a championship caliber team. I could be wrong with the Lakers. I mean, Anthony Davis is clearly a superstar. LeBron still has, you know, that ability to turn it on at, at key moments even though obviously his body at times just fights him on, on how long he can be out there and his effectiveness defensively. 
let's say this about LeBron. Here's what's impressive. Okay? And you have people that they just, they so badly want LeBron to be the greatest ever that they want to look past some of the things he can't do anymore. And then when you say he can't do them, you're like, well, it's because he's 30, 30, what, 38 years old. Like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to admit that. To me, what's impressive is can you find a way to be really, really effective and hide your weaknesses as much as possible? And the perfect example is taking two charges. Like LeBron is not, you know, he can still chase down block, but he's not, he's never been really a rim protector and especially not now. But using your brain and your toughness and taking a big charge in a huge game, like that's basketball IQ. And, uh, and, and honestly, for the most part, uh, I thought he did a good job of, of, you know, driving and kicking within the confines of the offense. And he's doing a better job of not holding the ball as much like LeBron. I've, I've heard people say, you know, no matter what system he's in, it's LeBron's system, which, which is true. The, the truth to it is he grew up playing and starred in an era where you can still get the ball and uh, when you get a mismatch, stare it down, figure it out. And and the reads were really clean and really easy because he would take a, just a, a, a tick or a second or two you know, when he get it in ISO and decide what he want to do based upon reading the defense. This era of the NBA still has some of that, but most of it is, hey, you're trying to move it side to side and get the defense not just into a switch, but into a rotation that that is uh, that is suboptimal for them. And when they, when you do it, now you can attack. And of course, you got shooters spaced in specific areas away. I think he's doing a better job of moving without the basketball and being more a part of an overall scheme offensively. He's still kind of over-reliant on shooting jump shots because he doesn't have the burst he used to. Uh, he did get to the rim twice. Obviously, you know, people are, well, he drove to his left. I mean, that it kind of looked like he was dribbling with his elbows, but he found a way to force one up and in. And then the, the right-hand finish to send it to overtime was an amazing finish. You know, it's one of those ones you practice for years. Put it up high on the backboard, above the square, on its way down, so it just kind of feathers its way in, and he did it over a shot blocker. Great finish. But, you know, in totality, his game has a lot more holes than it ever used to have, and he's finding where he's just shored up. Uh, but that that feels like a series where the Grizzlies just, one, physically not ready because you don't have, you know, your starting center or your small ball five, and then two, kind of emotionally not ready for the moment. And that happens. Like, look, uh, to, a, to a different extent, LeBron wasn't ready for the moment of the NBA Finals his first time around. I don't put all the blame on LeBron for the Mavericks series. Uh, go back and look. You know, Mike Bibby was awful. He started games one through five, didn't play at all in game six. That's how bad he was. Yet, anyone can conclude that LeBron probably wasn't ready for the motion of that moment. Um, Kevin Durant, game six, when they could have eliminated the Warriors on their own home floor and Clay went game six. Go back and look. Kevin Durant was awful. Probably wasn't re- emotionally ready for that moment. And I think the the, the Grizzlies in this, they, they weren't ready. They talked all that shit during the regular season. Clay Thompson famously pointed out, I got four rings, you got none. And this is what he meant. And it is not easy when you think the whole world's against you, when you're playing against LeBron, playing against Anthony Davis. These dudes have played in all these big games. And suddenly you feel like, you know, Dylan Brooks does his Dylan Brooks thing, which he's done all year. But when you do it to LeBron... And, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, that game three where they get, you know, they're getting blown out of the water, what, 35 to nine to start the game. You know, what I don't think most people realize was that was the first full attendance home 
playoff game for the Lakers in a decade, a decade, you know, and, and he made LeBron's not never been beloved in, in Los Angeles, but when you pick on somebody's superstar, and that's what we've seen, like calling him old, you know, even if he's just messing with him, suddenly like LeBron is Mr. Laker. So the Grizzlies just weren't ready for this. Uh, I don't think that series is over, by the way. They're going to win game five and game six will be a war. And if they can find a way to win that game, wow, seven is fun. Really, really fun in, in Memphis. Really fun in Memphis. You know, Trey Young, Trey Young, as the as of the recording, you know, last night, I mean, what an incredible comeback. And he pulls up with a, a logo three to win the game. And therein lies kind of the the push and pull with with Trey Young, right? So many people have tried to push the Hawks to, and the Hawks probably want to move on from Trey, not because he's not a great talent, but because, man, at some point, like, we just can't win with you. It's so hard to hide defensively. He's fairly ball dominant. He just, he's not easy. On the other hand, nights like last night, you're like, are we really going to trade Trey Young? This guy's incredible. So it's a hard one. But I think you see between Jimmy Butler, LeBron, uh, Anthony Edwards, uh, Trey Young, like this is why the playoffs are not only great, but why this is all that really, really matters. Because the best of the best show up to be the best at the most important times. And it's also why I feel terrible for Kawhi Leonard. You know, all this, I mean, the Stephen A. Smith stuff is such crap. Like he should retire. He's the worst superstar ever. Like, what are you talking about? All the guy does is work and work and work to become the best player in the NBA. His body has just let him down. I think, I mean, that is, that's one of those where, and he doubled down on it earlier today, uh, right before I recorded this on the worst superstar ever, and he should just be asked to retire. Like it shows you that in Stephen A's mind, this is just television stuff because no one would ever tell anybody that in real life, right? No one would ever say a guy who, Kawhi Leonard has been the best player in the league the last month and a half. And it's, it, I mean, Kevin Durant's the only other one, but he, he, he was injured, so he didn't play as much. But those are the two best players in the league. And Kawhi Leonard was incredible at the end of the season, incredible the first two games in the playoffs, and obviously tore his meniscus, and so he's out. So no one in their right mind would tell somebody who tore a meniscus that they should retire. Right? It's just not, it's like not even a reasonable conversation. And the fact that Stephen A doubled down on such an unreasonable conversation only shows it's just TV bullshit to him. And so there's, there's this uh, kind of disassociation and, you know, all the NBA guys are, you know, going to get on TV and JJ Reddick destroy him and Jay Williams destroy him and Jalen Rose destroy him and whatever. But that just feeds into what he's trying to do, I guess. But man, that's clown show shit. It just is. Let's get to this conversation. Um, uh, I know Darren Heitner. Well, he and I disagree on some of this stuff. But I think it's an interesting discussion from two people looking at the NIL from different angles. Take a listen. Darren, you, you have a lot of hats you wear. How would you describe the things you do? Lawyer, professor, writer, um, problem solver, I guess, is my favorite. Problem solver. I like that. Uh, a little bit of um, uh, the the character wolf from the wolf from uh Pulpchen, right okay <laughs> calling the wolf all you need yeah i uh i fix problems try to find solutions okay so nil 
Um, as a lawyer with your background, um, what was your what was your opinion of NIL when it came into existence? From a theoretical standpoint, it's something that should have never been taken away from everybody because or from anybody because everybody has had the opportunity to exploit his or her name, image, and likeness for commercial gain if somebody's willing to pay for that, whether it be placing an image on product packaging or using someone's likeness in a TV advertisement, even doing a camper clinic, creating a company, providing an endorsement. That was the theory surrounding the push going back now almost five years when a lot of momentum picked up in California first, then in my state of Florida, why we pushed so hard to get around the prohibition that the NCA had put in place. We didn't necessarily think that it would snowball into what it's become, which is undoubtedly a tool to recruit players coming out of high school, which we know existed prior to NIL anyhow. It's just become a bit more transparent. And then in coordination with the transfer portal becoming an opportunity for players, absolutely becoming an an element uh, that every single transfer portal player is considering in choosing where to go. Uh, so I like to put quotation marks around NIL when it's being used in that way for recruiting at a high school or for recruiting players in the transfer portal. That's not real NIL, but at the same time, even if there weren't changes state by state, those types of things would be happening. They would just be happening under the service. Okay. So um, you, you don't, you didn't, you didn't see this happening. You didn't see basically buying players as something that was going to be a byproduct of the true use of the, the traditional use of name, image and likeness. I'll say this. I didn't expect it to be, so overt and apparent, and as I mentioned before, transparent. I figured that what we were used to, at least those in the business, knew what was happening for decades, would continue, but would likely continue outside of Twitter, outside of social media, without making pronouncements through journalists and trying to build up books of business, that being agents, attorneys, etc., by talking to certain journalists and getting the word out there that they're able to craft X amount of dollars in negotiations for players. I did not necessarily expect that it would be so open that that NIL in quotation marks uh, would be a part of this. I thought that athletes that were very marketable would have an opportunity as they have to make upwards of millions of dollars for the truly marketable athletes. Um, I didn't expect it to be a free-for-all when it comes to just players in the transfer portal and people tweeting how much money is being offered to individuals in order to get them to shift. What are your thoughts on the current system? It's interesting because I, I talk with athletic administrators, coaches all the time. And one thing comes up time and time again from that group of individuals. They say this is unsustainable. And when I hear them say that, I like to push back. I ask them, what exactly is unsustainable about it? And the common response is, well, the money's going to dry up. But I don't see that being true. The individuals who are spending a lot of money, whether they're doing it directly as boosters or through 
these new NIL collectives that have sprouted up have traditionally spent a lot of money, but on athletic facilities, on coaches, et cetera. And if they believe that they're getting any return on their investment by way of the programs getting stronger through NIL or quote unquote NIL, I have to imagine it's going to continue. When I talk to agents, when I talk to players, when I talk to the operators of NIL collectives, they're increasingly bullish. They think we're only touching the surface and that the money is only going to expand from here. And I, I happen to believe they're right over the coaches and the athletic administrators who believe this is unsustainable. Unless we actually shift to a system where athletes are compensated as salaried employees and can negotiate the terms of their employment, I think we're just going to see this proliferate. Well, here, here would be the, the, the pushback. This money's always been used for coaches and facilities. You know, there, there's also the cost overruns that happen in any business in the world. And these donors forever have been getting a, a call at some point in time. Hey, we need this for operating budget. Now, there are some programs in the biggest of big conferences, Big Ten SEC, which they should be able to be self-sustaining because of the new uh, TV rights deals. Everybody else, I think, will struggle, right? One, you're trying to keep up with the Joneses who already have what you want, and they're spending at a ridiculous rate. And those boosters aren't being called upon to help on the, the, the yearly budgets. Uh, but the other part to it is, yeah, the, the return on investment, it's going to be really hard to calculate. Like, yes, Miami was a success story. But there are plenty of other stories that were disasters in NIL. And one time you can write it off as, hey, it was the wrong kid. It was the wrong time. It didn't work. But multiple times you go to you go to enough people and they go, you know, like I, the kid didn't play. I didn't get return investment or I, you know, we we gave him all this money and then he left the very next year. There's no real relationship there. I think there'll be enough sour people. These are, as you know, people that give this level of money are usually very savvy business people and they may not be doing it for any sort of financial return, but they want to get something for their money. And when they don't. Rich people don't like to waste money. I, that's just what I found. Um, I think it's going to be a very interesting kind of new world. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Now let's get to the let's get to the employment aspect of it. I know it's been a push for a long time, especially for many talented lawyers. But do people truly understand the downside to employment, right? That all of the benefits they receive are suddenly taxable. Um, additionally, you can be fired. Um, and many of the things outside of the set salary that you're fighting for, um, many of those things are already in place and already in protections for student athletes. And so I- I'm not sure ex- exactly, maybe you can lay out for me, what would be gained by making student athletes employees? Because the big thing is that you're operating in a tax shelter, right? Everything is, all these benefits are not taxed. And this, I've been told the second that goes away, they become employees, that, that the whole landscape changes. How would you push back on that to the administrator or the person around college athletics is like, look, you may think you want to be an employee, but you really don't. I tend to agree with you in, in many aspects and that athletes and their representatives should be careful what they wish for. I don't believe that many of them are truly thinking this through. On the other hand, I think the same is true when you're talking about athletic directors, presidents and chancellors of universities who are pushing so strongly to avoid what may be the inevitable, which is classifying these athletes as employees. As you mentioned, if you if you make these athletes employees, they'll likely lose a lot of their benefits from certainly a tax perspective. Scholarships should be gone. And while, yes, athletes may not in the current ecosystem have a guarantee that their scholarships will be renewed, how many athletes do you see having their employment terminated in the middle of the season for poor per- performance? And that could be where we're going. Now, On the other hand, there may be real benefits for the athletes by way of having the opportunity to unionize and collectively bargain for better work conditions, for high wages, and having perhaps a floor on their salaries and being able to negotiate a substantial amount of money. But the real winners in that situation could be the same individuals who are the real winners in this era of NIL, who are making the millions of dollars based on their marketability. And oftentimes, these are the best performers on the field, on the court, et cetera. Not always, but oftentimes. So while it may be advantageous for some athletes, I think others, and perhaps the vast majority of athletes, would want to sincerely consider whether or not it's worth their while to fight for it. But at the same time, again, I wonder whether athletic directors, presidents, and chancellors are really thinking this through, who obviously make up the NCAA and ultimately the decision-making power of the NCAA. Because if you can establish these athletes as employees, do you now take away a lot of these impermissible inducements, the pay-for-play that everyone is arguing about currently? I don't know. I think it becomes really interesting, right? Because, you know, one of the things that I think athletes and 
many media members and social media, they, they love the ability to just move school to school to school. Right? Oh, we got freedom. But what you have to understand is when you sign an employee contract, right? just like coaches have a buyout, now is there a non-compete clause? Right? Which I just, there, there's a lot of people who make a lot of comments about something that they truly don't know anything about. That's the, that's the painful element to it, which you're sitting there and go like, you know, like, well, they're employees. They'd be able to switch jobs. Like, mm, ever heard of a non-compete clause? Well, I now we one. get into an interesting conversation dependent on what state in which you're employed. California, for instance, largely neglects or, or, or decides that non-competes are not enforceable, whereas a state like Florida or New York largely does enforce a non-compete that an employer puts in place. So perhaps, you know, there's a, California has a, a competitive advantage in, in um, having athletes decide to commit and enroll because the athletes know that they can freely move. Other than there's the downside of the, the amount of taxes you pay in California, right? And then, and then the funding of it is very different because California schools receive almost no funding or almost no funding, if any, from the state. And so the money collected, and of course, outside of USC and UCLA, everybody else is very much in question. But, um, you know, like UCLA, their big issue is they get no help from the state. None. Yeah. Zero. You know, Cal, the same thing. That's why those athletic departments are in such financial despair. So there's, there is so many th things to it. Um, I just don't understand why an athletic director or president prefers the status quo of a transfer portal, which is in essence unrestricted free agency without the benefits of employment. Darren, I don't think they, they prefer that. I think what's happened is, I, I think there's, there's two things that have happened at once. I think everyone believes that the NCA uh, doesn't have the fortitude to say, hey, these are the rules, you know, because it's like they just put out the new rule, right, where the transfer portal, where you can't have a second transfer unless there is, you know, like you're not going to be able to transfer a second time. Nobody actually believes they'll enforce that. Everyone's claiming some sort of mental health issue because who's going to be the one to say, well, that's bullshit. You know, like I know one student athlete, very well regarded, um, transferred once from a high major to a high major, now transferring again in the portal. And has listed mental health as the reason to transfer again. I talked to the, the school, the, his second school, and he said, like, well, listen, we'd respect if he had a mental health issue, but never once asked for counseling, never once had an issue, never once missed a practice. Like, really, that's gonna, that one's going to be really hard to argue. So I think part of it is nobody believed that the NCAA had the guts or schools have the guts to go like, hey, guess what? Here's the rules. You got to stick to them. And I think the other part to it is that, frankly, the NCA has kind of done what many police departments have done in major cities where they're pushed back to the, oh, you don't want us. And when the NCA says you don't want us to, to, to be a part of this, fine, handle it yourself. And it's become a complete free for all, which is a mess. And the idea is eventually you'll come back, whether it's for the NCA or some other ruling body, figure out, hey, we got to have some rules here. Because otherwise, this thing just spirals out of control. But, but that's the problem, right? And, 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 and I mentioned this time and time again. I'd rather there be an ecosystem where there are no rules at all than have one where there are rules that are simply not being enforced because that's where you have 
the unfair competitive advantage for those who violate the rules that exist and aren't being enforced, as opposed to those who will continue to remain conservative and act in accordance with those rules, even though they're not being enforced. It's it's a real calamity. Is there any way to establish it as true NIL? Well, the vast majority of deal making is true NIL, but the media loves to cover, obviously, the major deals between collectives and boosters with players. Uh, the way to modify that and make it so that there's only true NIL would be for there not only to be rules, but for those rules to have teeth and for there to be true enforcement and not selective enforcement, which is also a problem. There are so many schools and hundreds of thousands of players. And one of the issues is the NCAA for many months now has come out and said, when we enforce our rules, which we're still waiting for roughly two years in, we're not going to focus on punishing the athletes who are obviously a main part of these transactions. We're going to go after the schools who really don't even have much control based on the activities of their boosters and their NIL collectives. Meanwhile, the NCA has no subpoena power, so it's relying on the information that's voluntarily provided to it. So all of a sudden, the NCA says, we're okay with relying on circumstantial evidence, not even direct evidence. And oh, by the way, it's going to be guilty un unless you prove your innocence for the schools. Now, again, it, it sounds pretty miserable, but at the same time, even now, months after they've said this, we still haven't seen a single instance of the rules being enforced. And what happened at Miami was not an NIL punishment. That was a recruiting related punishment that would have been in place prior to NIL. So we're still waiting two years in. It's, it's a matter of enforcement. The Miami thing is interesting, right? Because John Ruiz's company is a mess, right? And yet he made sure to to be the be the the face of Miami's NIL for both women's and men's basketball. I'm not sure in regards to the uh, college football as well. Um, so, uh, what are your thoughts on Miami that was championed as, "Hey, look, you can create a winning programs and a winning culture while essentially buying players from you know the the Cavender twins." And then, of course, uh, Nigel Pack coming over from Kansas State. And now, of course, he has some financial issues. What are your, as, as, and I know you're a Florida guy, so it's easy to, to, to kick on uh, the U when they're financially, you know, like this does seem like a cycle at Miami, right? Getting in bed with nefarious characters. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Miami, which, you know, you go back to the Final Four, was championed as the, the future of high major athletics. Well, I'm very close to the situation. I've been working with the Kavner twins for almost two years. I was part of that process when they decided that they were going to put their names in the transfer portal and ultimately decide to enroll at the University of Miami. And I can tell you with confidence and assurance that NIL specifically with regard to John Ruiz did not play a role. Did NIL play a role with regard to how they thought their marketability would be expanded being in a in a market like Miami? Absolutely. Uh, did they sign a deal with Ruiz's companies? Yes. Have they been paid on those deals? Yes. And I think that's what's most important. Until checks are bounced, until payments aren't made under these contracts, I don't think that there's 
really any concern. I've seen the articles about uh, Ruiz's company, Life Wallet. Uh, I know Darren Rovell has has posted quite a few of those and tweeted on them. Uh, but at the end of the day, we haven't seen, at least I haven't yet seen any fallout from that. You know, there was a lot of speculation that Tyler Van Dyke, the starting quarterback at Miami, would be leaving. And he's put those rumors to rest. So we've seen, obviously, impacts. Uh, you know, the, the great run of the Miami men's basketball team into the Final Four, the run that the female basketball team had. You know, on the football side, we haven't seen those results yet. But I'd also say that it's going to take some time to really – come to a conclusion as to whether or not these efforts are successful. Just like we tend to give coaches or should give coaches a minimum of, let's say, three years to determine whether or not they're able to make a difference when they come into a new program. I think the same is going to be true with NIL. It's just a bit too soon to say that NIL is or is not working at a specific school. And to address something that was said before, I mean, Smart people, wealthy people don't like to waste money, although I, I'd say the one exception to that is sports. We do see very wealthy people funnel tons of cash to universities going decades past. And I think collectives, perhaps, and maybe even the schools would be able to persuade these wealthy donors to push more money in by saying, hey, what you put in wasn't enough. We need a little more to get us over the top and get this player, that player, et cetera. So I'm not as convinced as you are that a lot of these wealthy people who are spending are just going to turn off that spigot. How does it work with a recruited athlete? You know, the Kavanagh twins are different, right? I, I would say they are non-traditional because they had a massive, massive social media following. Uh, prior to Miami, and really had very little to do with basketball, right? They just happened to play collegiate sports, but they were, you know, they, they were kind of a business unto themselves, right? So for the traditional recruited athlete or even athlete who's in the transfer portal, how does it actually work in regards to NIL? Let's just, let, let's just take you. So for people who don't know, you act as the agent for the student athlete, correct? I do not. I, I actually act as a lawyer for athletes, agents, brands, and collectives, but I don't like getting myself in the weeds when it comes to procuring deals and negotiating compensation elements. No. I, okay, I know so enough to be that, dangerous though. <laughs> so okay. So okay, so how does it work? Like let's say kid puts himself in the portal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The coaches aren't supposed to have any knowledge of NIL and what a, what a collective is going to offer and what's available, but how does it actually work? Right, but they know, right? I mean, the going of course. rumor right now is Hunter Dickinson's going to get upwards of a million dollars to transfer, right? And it'll be one of the blue bloods, I'm sure, that he transfers to. And that's, again, I don't have any personal knowledge of that, but but that's the word among coaches right now. And the coaches, again, aren't supposed to have any direct involvement. In fact, they're really not supposed to have any indirect involvement, but they absolutely know what's going on, what the demands are, and have conversations with boosters and collectives across the country. Because the boosters and the collectives obviously aren't in a position where they have the experience, knowledge, wherewithal to really run recruiting. They shouldn't be. So what happens oftentimes is that you'll have an agent attached to a player who's in the transfer portal. And 
what we've seen now are there's so many inexperienced agents, agents who are either not certified with the National Basketball Players Association or just weren't marketing agents prior to two years ago, matching up with these players, sometimes very talented players, and reaching out to boosters, reaching out to collectors, reaching out directly to coaches and athletic departments and shopping these players around, sometimes putting out false numbers, saying one school's offering one thing to try to drive up the price. And uh, it can get pretty gruesome. But ultimately, these agents are really the power brokers right now, even though they may have a lack of experience. And they're oftentimes taking a hefty commission on these deals, upwards of 20%. What if I propose to you that the way to at least temporarily fix some of it is you cannot collect NIL until you have actually competed for the university. I hate it. (laughs) And it goes back to the whole reason why we in the state of Florida and other states pushed so hard for change going back to 2019. Because in no other industry do you have such limitation and restrictions. And furthermore, there's added complexity now with 25 states in Washington, D.C. allowing high school athletes to engage in NIL opportunities. I guess under your hypothetical, that would be that would go away and only individuals who have started to compete in college would be able to monetize their name, image and likeness. But so many people, you mentioned the Cavender twins, they had massive followings beforehand. I mean, I'm working with Kyan Anthony, Carmelo and Lala's child, and he's in high school. He's extremely marketable. Why should he be prevented from doing legit NIL deals with brands? So how do you so how how do you create a world where NIL becomes legit and it doesn't become buying players? You have rules which exist and you do whatever's necessary to enforce them. Okay, but so what give, give me a rule that 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 makes that that was the intent of the rule, which is hey, if you in order to collect this you actually have to compete because that builds up your name, image and likeness. There are, you know, and again, you're talking about the Kai and Anthony's, the Kyvander twins, the Bronny James. Those are the outliers, right? Zion Williamson, outliers. Sure. Most of them, 99% of the student athletes, they create the name, image, and likeness value for themselves by simply playing. You play well, you get to make money off of playing well, right? So how, just give me a rule which can, which, which is enforceable that prevents buying players while keeping intact the the idea of profiting off of your name, image, and likeness. It's the rule that exists, the rule that there cannot be an inducement. You cannot make a payment to a player or condition a payment to a player based on his enrollment at a university, and that you can't pull the payment if that player transfers or isn't residing where that university is situated. It's as simple as that. All right. I know you got to run. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. All right. We'll do it again. All right. All right. My thanks to Darren Heitner. Of course, you can follow him on social media. Uh, it's H-E-I-T-N-E-R. Um, and he's uh, he's a mover and a shaker in this thing. And uh, he's also a great source of information for what really, really goes on. Give me your thoughts at Gottlieb show on Instagram at Gottlieb show on Twitter and the Doug Gottlieb show. Facebook page is always live and you can 
give me your thoughts on NIL, on Darren's position, on my position, and is there a way to kind of fix the current state of college athletics, most importantly, college basketball? Anyway, I'm Doug Gottlieb. Hope you enjoyed it. This is All Ball. chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen and with resi priority notify and global dining access through my amex platinum card right this way it's nice to try someone else's food for a change that's the powerful backing of american express terms apply learn more at americanexpress.com slash with amex at bed 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every home run every hit every inning every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.